A reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think about these words of the apostle uh, written so long ago that you would help us to know how we might apply them to our lives and how we might be uh, persons and how really we might be part of a community that fulfills the law of Christ, that we live into the likeness of Jesus. So meet us as we think about these things together this morning uh, in Christ's name. Uh, amen. So uh, last year I was listening to an interview that Krista Tippett did with Jean Vanier. Vanier has written a lot about community and we've shared some of those books. If you've been a part of our community group system, uh, a leader, you've read some of those books uh, perhaps. Um, but his work and his writing about community really flows from his practice of community that was a part of uh, 
uh, it, it was really working with persons with, with the, and, and really living with them, individuals that have intellectual disabilities. And so creating a community of those people. Uh, and today, there's something like 145 of, the, of, these, little, uh, of, of these communities that exist uh, throughout the world, really. So it was a tremendous movement that he sparked and, and started through his own life work. But one of the things that he said in this interview that just struck me as really a beautiful thing, he said, um, L'Arche, now forgive me, my French is terrible obviously, uh, is a sign, not a solution. It's a sign and not a solution. In other words, it's not a fix for the world, but it is an action in the world that points to and reflects um, Christ's world. Uh, and I thought that was just a beautiful way of thinking about the way we live life in the world, we're not, we're not trying to fix the world, we're not a patch on the world, but we're trying to live inside of the community, the church, as the body of Christ, in such a way that we reflect and gesture toward the beauty of God's world, the justice, the beauty, the goodness, the truth of the world that God is bringing in Jesus, the new creation. Now, I want you to sit with that idea and think about this as we read this and think about this part of Paul's letter to the Galatians. He's wrapping up this letter. We'll finish up next week, actually. Um, but here in this part, Paul uses this very familiar sort of uh, statement, right? You, you reap what you sow, right? You've heard that. You probably grew up hearing your parents, maybe even, remind you of that here and there. But he, he takes this very familiar agricultural metaphor for people living in that part of the world and that part of the day and time and he says, look, there's a way of thinking about the way you live life, and it's, it's, it's a lot like a farmer. You plant a seed, and you reap the fruit of that seed. You nurture the seed. You watch the product that grows up, and you reap what you sow, right? And he says, the question is, where are you, what are you reaping? What are you sowing, really? And to what are you sowing toward? Uh, that's going to reflect the kind of fruit or the works that you're going to experience in life. I remember when I would hear this as a kid or growing up, or I heard it even in college days, uh, you know, I, I really processed that language through this grid of fear, right? You know, what does that tell me? God's going to get you. You know, it's like you run or reap what you sow, boy. You know, and you kind of grow up. I, I, I did. I grew up in the South, by the way, and I grew up, I grew up in a religious family. I grew up in a context of going to the church. I grew up inside of somewhat, you know, at times sort of fundamentalist sort of spaces of Christianity. And it often sort of had that feel and that anxiety around it of, you know, you know God's going to find out. You're not going to get away with it. And that's not really what Paul's talking about, <laughs> by the way, I don't think. I think what he's just saying is, hey, you're going to reap you. You're going to reap the life that you have. You're going to, you're, if you're living out of the flesh, if you're living inside of the flesh, if you're living inside of the spirit, you're going to reap certain kinds of fruit. It's just, this is the farming agricultural metaphor that he's using, right? The analogy that he's drawing. And so remember last week, in the text that we looked at just prior to this one, Paul speaks of two contrasting ways of being human, right? He's, uh, he, he, the, the language is flesh and spirit. And when we hear flesh, we often think, well, he's talking about our bodies. That's, he must think our bodies are bad. Well, no, that's not what Paul is saying. He's speaking of flesh more as this, um, this sort of inadequate or false wisdom for the way we go about living ordinary human life in our bodies. And he's using, in speaking of the spirit, as a way of ordering the way we live in our ordinary lives, our bodies, 
a life that's ordered by the wisdom of God, by the wisdom of Christ, really, by the gift of who Jesus is. Uh, so this flesh and spirit sort of dichotomy that Paul is urging us to understand and think about. And he said last week we saw that there's a struggle that's happening in us, right? We sometimes feel like I've got one foot in this sort of fleshly unwise part of life and I've got another foot in this spiritual sort of awareness of God and his love and his gift of Christ part of life. And there's a struggle that we often feel, a tug of war that we can feel inside of our lives. And now this particular text that we just looked at, urges us to sow toward the Spirit. In other words, how will you live with the struggle? How will you live with this tug of war in your life? Where will you plant yourself? Where will you plant your feet, right? And wherever you plant your feet, you're going to reap that stuff. It's either going to be the flesh or it's going to be the Spirit, right? That's the picture that, um, that Paul seems to be painting for the Galatians as he comes toward the end of this letter. So I want you to think about your week. What did you sow? What did you plant? So just take one slice of life, your conversations with uh, maybe colleagues in the workplace, maybe it's with a family member, maybe it's with a spouse, maybe it's with a roommate, maybe it's a conversation you had with a neighbor. What did that conversation look like? Do you ever remember a moment in which you felt, whether you were or not, whether, but you felt a little bit of accusation, you know? You're, your wife or your husband said something in a certain kind of way, and it sort of, you felt accused in a way, right? Or a colleague or a friend or a neighbor, maybe they said something to you, and all of a sudden you just sort of, you bristle, do you ever do that? You bristle a little bit, you think, yeah, I feel accused, and what do you do when you feel accused sometimes? We defend ourselves, right? So I immediately begin to make a case for why I'm right or what I did that I thought was right and why maybe, you know, this accusation that's sort of showing up, whether it's a real accusation or not, I felt it as an accusation, it's popping up and I'm thinking, well, let me just give you another perspective on this. Let me articulate this a little different way. Let me just defend myself, right? Did you do that this week? Anybody? Or maybe you're in a conversation uh, in the workplace and you feel a little bit overlooked, right? You, your work is not as valued as other people. And so you're in a conversation, uh, you know, and, and you just have this moment where someone begins to talk about something that you know a little bit about. And you begin to do what? I drop these choice morsels. Right, into the conversation. Because what I really want is not, I'm not really concerned about this conversation at all, except for how it makes me look in relation to you or this topic or this subject. In other words, I'm trying to feel what? Worthy. I'm trying to feel a little bit honorable, like I like like there's there's me there, and I want you to recognize me. So I foreground certain things in this conversation, right? And I background other things in this conversation, right? Guess what I just have done in that moment? I am sowing to the flesh. I'm not sowing to the spirit. Because all of a sudden in that space, what is, what's going on with my identity issues? Well, my identity is pretty fragile at the moment, and I need to prop it up. And so I'm going to do that by sort of foregrounding certain things I think I'd like for you to know about me or things that I'd like for you to think that I, to know that I know, right? I'm just going to highlight those realities, and I'm going to background other things, other features of my life story that I think diminish what you might think about me, right? I'm sowing to the flesh. So this is not like mysterious stuff, folks, right? This is ordinary life. 
This is not like, uh, you know, just the, the big bad sin kinds of things. These are just the way we live life. We are always cultivating a way of being human, a way of establishing our worthiness, a way of understanding our own value add, a way of sort of um, achieving honor. Sowing in the field of the spirit, in contrast, is a way of living life in which you're mindful of God as your father. You know he loves you. You know he's with you. And so you're conscious of the demonstration of his love for you in the story of who Jesus is, who lived and died and has risen, who gives you his spirit and promises you that, that he will come again for you, right? So living as a child of God across all of the conversations of the past week or the coming week, all of the context of the last week or the things right in your life. So, you know, spaces of joy. Am I conscious of God's presence and gift to me in the space of joy? A space of sorrow. Am I aware that even though I'm experiencing something that's profoundly hurtful, profoundly sorrowful, I'm grieving, I can touch the loss, right? I feel it, it's palpable. But am I in that context aware I'm a child of God I'm beloved God cares for me he's with me he's present to me in my pain do you sense that sowing to the spirit the context of sickness or in health and wealth or in poverty or even in situations in which you've been adversely and negatively affected by someone else's sowing to the flesh. In other words, their sin. You're hurt by their sin. Paul imagines that it's possible for us to live in all of these contexts of human life, these ordinary spaces of life in a broken world, to live there as a child that is mindfully aware that they are beloved by God because of the story of Jesus. So when Paul takes this agricultural analogy, it's a way of helping us begin to break down and think about the ordinary habits of our everyday life with one another. And just very simply to ask this question of where are you planting yourself? Are you planting yourself in these contexts of joy or sorrow in a way that takes you further away from God? Or are you planting yourself in these spaces of joy or sorrow in a way that anchors your identity as a child of God in that space? That's what Paul desires for us. And he gives us two case studies here, really, to think about um, in this particular text. And so first he wants us to think about our relationship to our neighbor when they're in a circumstance of need. And the second thing he wants us to think about is our relationship to our own life story. So let's first think about our neighbor and our neighbor's need. So he identifies two types of need, right? Our neighbor when they're sinning and our neighbor when they're burdened, right? These are two different things. They're related perhaps. Sometimes they're related intimately. But they're, they're, uh, they're two ways in which we might encounter our neighbor in a space of need. So first think about sin. When you come upon your friend who is caught in a transgression or sin, that is some pattern of misdeed, right? So Paul acknowledges we live in a world where people do wrong things. And we get caught in patterns of doing wrong things and doing hurtful things and, you know, things the Bible calls sin. When you encounter a neighbor that is sowing his or her life to the flesh, 
How do you relate to that person? Right? How do you relate to that person? And it's interesting to think about some of these things because we live in a moment when we're really angsty about uh, certain things in our culture, right? We're hearing a lot of negative stories that show up, right? Uh, and we talked about some of those last week, like stories of sexual abuse and abu- you know, abuse of power in the workplace, particularly as it relates to women. So how do we relate to persons that, we, that are caught in some habituated pattern of misdeed, right? How do you relate to those persons? What do you do? Uh, sometimes... It's easier to judge, right? <laughs> it's easier just to, I call it like I see it. And I judge. But my real interest in judging is not to get close to that person. It's to sort of cut off. It's to wall up from that person, right? Sometimes that's, when we judge, we're building a wall, right? You're over there. I'm over here. Sometimes I want to just sort of, uh, I want to practice avoidance, right? I want to, I'd rather not be near someone who's caught in some of these things, right? It, it's just, it's just I, I don't want to do it. it. You know, it might catch on, right? You don't want to do it. And so we, we wall off from one another. We avoid one another. Now, what's interesting here is that, is that Paul says, those of you with the Spirit, right, get near them. Whoa. Those of you with the Spirit. Now, you know, here you're in a church, right? We're in a season, right, of doing what? Of nominating elders and deacons and so you think hey that's the elders and deacons job well guess what it is the elders and deacons job but Paul is not here highlighting elders and deacons he's saying you who have the spirit well who is that it's every Christian so Paul says if you have the spirit of God in your life get near that brother or that sister draw close to them right um, draw close to them, get near them, but do it gently. Get near them in a gentle way and be mindful of your own vulnerability as a sinner too. Um, Paul says our aim in this is their restoration. Get near them to restore. And that's a word that would be used to describe repairing something that was precious to you. You know, so if you were in this context, if you were a, f- a fisherman or something, right, and your nets are torn, what do you do? You're going to restore your nets. You're going you're to mend them. You're going to fix them. You're going to repair your nets. And so Paul's using the same language that you might lose use in that context to speak about the way we get near one another when we're caught in a habituated way of sowing to the flesh. Get near them for the purpose of restoration, Restoring is the aim, and so the approach is gentleness and not harshness. And this is where it's so tricky, right? Because so often, if someone's offense hurts me, it's a lot easier to be harsh than gentle. But Paul says we should get near one another in a gentle manner, not a harsh manner. And we do that mindful of our own vulnerability to sin. The only way for us to be a real agent of God to our neighbor, with our neighbor, is as we know the specific truth about our own life stories. I need to know, you know, in the church, a number of years ago, I was 
talking to, I was sort of coaching someone. They were going to tell their story in church, and I listened to their story as they were sort of thinking about their life story, and their story was just loaded with a repeated phrase. It was, I'm a sinner, and God met me in my sin, and I'm a sinner, and God met me in my sin, and I'm a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I was listening to them, and I said, you know, I'm not sure what that means. I, I know what the word sinner means, but what would really be helpful, if, you're, if you don't mind, is can you, put, can you make it a little more concrete? Like, do you have a sense of what your sin is? Or have you just embraced a way of talking about yourself in generalities? I'm a sinner. The only way you can be helpful to someone if they're caught in sin is if you are aware of the ways in which you yourself have also been caught in sin. Your story, it may not be like their story at all. Your struggle may not be like their, story, their struggle at all, but that doesn't matter. Do you understand yourself to be a real sinner, not a general sinner, right? Do you understand the, the way that plays out in your life story? And here's why that's so very, very important. Because if you don't understand, if I don't understand how I am a sinner in need of the grace of Christ, guess what? I'm going to sort of devalue the grace of Jesus. Because Jesus is really for real sinners. But I am a general sinner. You're a real sinner. I can't relate to that. So what Paul is urging us to do, I think, here is to be really, really humble about our own stories with God. When I talk to you about a way in which I imagine you to be caught in something, or when you talk to a friend who you experience to be caught in something, one of the very first things that's just so important is that you understand how you have been caught and Jesus has been sufficient to your caughtness. And if you don't understand that, you will not get near that brother or sister in a gentle manner. You'll judge, you'll be aloof, you'll be harsh, you'll speak in babble and generalities that aren't really helpful to someone. But if you can draw near someone in a humble way, you can be of real help to them. St. Augustine said that the best way for us to know our neighbor is as a fellow sinner. And it's an interesting turn of phrase because he's not saying, hey, you know, hey, here's my sin. What's your sin? Let's cozy up and sort of chew the fat about that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, can you be near your neighbor, whoever they are, on a peer level? Like, can you stand on the same footing with them? Regardless of how you're different, can you stand on the same footing and recognize that you need the grace of God in the same manner in which they need the grace of God. He's urging us to sort of live as peers with one another, as sinful persons who are the recipient of Jesus. Stand on their level as someone who receives grace and offer the same grace. Now, our friends and our neighbors are not always caught in sin. That's not, you know, every single thing that they're experiencing in life, guess what? It's not this caughtness and sowing to the flesh. But uh, there's a struggle there, yes, but there's also a sense in which they're just burdened. Um, and what are the burdens that Paul has in mind? I think uh, almost certainly he speaks of financial burdens. Um, 
And uh, because the early church struggled with poverty. I mean, these were a segment of the community uh, very often during the day that lacked financial resources and financial opportunity. They were stuck in chronic poverty. They, um, they experienced their life in the world as, as, uh, as a burdened experience just by virtue of that, right? Um, and, and so Paul almost certainly has financial need in mind and the way we relate to one another when we encounter that need uh, in someone else. He says, get beneath their burden. But the word burden can also just simply speak of any way in which we experience the brokenness of a world in a way that weighs us down, right? You're unemployed. It weighs you down. You experience um, systemic and chronic uh, brokenness that shows up in spaces of, of, of racism. It weighs you down. You experience uh, sexism in, the, in your vocational space, and it, it weighs you down. You experience chronic poverty, it weighs you down, and it's so on and so forth, right? You could talk about any social problem, right? You could talk about any way in which you and I live in this broken world where we live unequally with our resources, we don't share our resources, and, and so there's, there's, there's world hunger, and just so on and so forth. There are lots of ways that we experience just the burden of a world that isn't as it ought to be, and a world that's filled with people who do not love as they ought to love. So when you encounter your neighbor in that circumstance of life, what do you do? Get beneath their burden. Get beneath their burden. Spirit-filled persons are called to prioritize someone else's burden over their own. And then Paul says, interestingly, that if you do this, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, this is an interesting turn of phrase in a, in a letter like Galatians. Because, if, you know, as you've been tracking through the Galatians sermon, we've been reading through Galatians, you know that Paul is always harping against what? Law. But here what Paul does is he turns this on his head. He takes their obsession with law. And he redirects it and he refines it. He redefines it, essentially, not in terms of the Jewish law. But in terms of Jesus himself, what did Jesus do with our burdens? He gets beneath them. Psalm 68, the psalmist tells us that God is pleased to carry our lives as his own burden. In other words, he's willing to get beneath the story of our lives the way in which you and I feel burdened in this world and in this life. And what Paul is telling the church community is you're, as you're filled with the Spirit and you're sowing to the Spirit, you'll live toward persons when they're caught in sin in a certain kind of way, a loving way toward restoration. And you'll live toward persons that are sort of burdened by the weight of this world in a way that seeks to get beneath their burden and alleviate their burden. And you will look like Jesus as you do it. In other words, your life will not be a fix for their life, but it will be a sign of the future of heaven. Now, the second thing he does is he pulls us in and urges us to think about ourselves. <clears throat> Sowing the Spirit with regard to our own life stories, not just our neighbor's stories. We already touched on this by saying that we need to be mindful of the particularity of our story of sin. How do we sin? How does Jesus forgive us? What does deliverance look like in our lives, right? But here in verses 3 to 5, right, Paul says, If you think you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves. 
Test your own work, then the work, then that work, rather than their neighbors, your neighbor's work will become cause for pride. All must carry their own load. Now, that sounds really, really strange, right? Because we've just been talking about burden bearing for our neighbors, right? And now Paul says, carry your own load. Or you read this statement about, hey, focus on your own work and then you'll have cause for pride. Wait a minute, I thought pride was a bad thing. That seems like it's the work of the flesh, right? What, is, what are you calling on, Paul? All right, remember what we said about the way in which honor and worthiness was established in that ancient time of the world. It's also how we establish honor in our society or worthiness in our, in our world. You do it by what? By constantly entering this process of comparing ourselves to other people, competing with our neighbor, critiquing our neighbor, condemning our neighbor. So we're always jockeying for worth. But what Paul begins to urge us to do here is to it's remember, right, our honor, our value, our worthiness is a gift by God to us by virtue of who Jesus is. He calls the community away from these patterns of honor-seeking and sort of self-promotion inside of the Roman world and culture. And even in our own days, he says, don't play those games. That's sowing to the flesh. Stop relating to one another from either a superior or an inferior stance. Neither of those promote real communities. Become peers to one another in Christ. Take assessment of your own life. Don't live off the laurels of someone else around you. Don't be a part of the community, the body of Christ, just thinking, well, there's some godly people around here, and that'll carry City Church along. Do some real self-assessment of your own spiritual life. What is your life like? What do you sow towards, right? These are the kinds of things Paul is asking us to be. He's asking us to become responsible persons. He's calling us to sort of move out of this space of feeling like we're victims of something and actually express the agency of a child of God. And then he adds, bear your own burdens. If you're part of the body of Christ... If you're part of the community of God's people, stop waiting for someone to get near your spiritual, your sinful story. Stop waiting for someone to get beneath your burden and begin to understand how Jesus has related himself to the story of your sin and how he relates to the burdens in your life as one who bears your burdens and live into your agency as a child of God. It's just really interesting, isn't it, that Paul calls us to this radical space of self-assessment, even as we're on the lookout for the needs and the burdens of our neighbor. In Jesus, God gets near us in a way that awakens our agency so that we sow to the Spirit and we find our value and our worth as children of God and we begin to love one another as beloved children of God. So as Paul finishes up this section, he urges us to plant ourselves in the field of the Spirit and that that will change the way we begin to live with our neighbor, the way we live with their needs, the way we live with their sin, the way we live with our own life stories. And then he urges us in this last space to not grow weary 
in mirroring the love of Jesus who bears us as his burden. Why? Because if you track with the story of Jesus, his burden bearing, it led him to the cross. And it's in that context of his dying love that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that God looked on the dying love of Jesus, Jesus who humbled himself, who did not grasp after his godness. In other words, he's not jockeying for value and worth, but he's constantly leveraging his worth toward us. And God raised him up. And Paul is certain that he will with him raise us up. And he will establish our lives in his future. So we look at ourselves from a certain standpoint because we're loved by God. And we look at our neighbor and their sin or in their burden as one who is loved by God. And he urges us not to grow weary in living that way. Sowing to the spirit, reaping the fruit of the spirit, eternal life itself. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that as we look on these texts and all of the events of this past week and maybe this past year swirl in our minds and there are moments of joy and very often they get clouded out and crowded out really by moments of pain and suffering and sorrow. You know that about our lives. Would you meet us in this time and would you remind us of the great love of Jesus? And would you help us to become persons that look at our own life stories differently and that we would understand how you have loved us in our sin and how you have loved us in our burdens that we might rise up and express the agency of a child of God. And we would live toward our neighbor differently because you have lived toward us differently. So meet us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.